friends, and welcome back to another episode of Holy Conversations, the podcast of the Wesleyan Covenant Association. I am Stephanie Greenwald, and I'm so excited that you have joined us today. And I actually get the privilege of interviewing my co-host, Reverend Bob Kaler. So Bob, how are you doing today? Doing very well. It's still a little cold here in Colorado. We got a glimpse of spring and then winter came back this week. Isn't that always how it happens? It teases us. It's sort of like when in the Lord of the Rings, the hobbits say, well, what about second breakfast? And we keep talking about, well, what about third or 12th winter? Because it keeps coming back (laughs) over and over again. So we'll, we'll see spring sometime for sure, locked in totally at the end of May, but there's always the outside chance it could snow in June, which does happen occasionally. (laughs) I believe that you just never quite know what you're going to get, but so tell us a little bit about before we dive into what we're really talking about today, because I know that our listeners will want to hear a little bit more about your church. You're the senior pastor at Tri Lakes UMC, uh, just outside Colorado Springs. So tell us a little bit about the church. Where, when it started and how long you've been there? The church actually started in 1991. It was a church plant and their first meeting place was actually in an abandoned truck stop oh, wow. right along Interstate 25 that runs through Monument here. And they had a sign outside that said, we can't change your oil because people would pull into the place looking for service. Right. And they said, we can't change your oil, but we can change your life. That's how the church started. <laughs> and brilliant. I love that. Yeah, it's really creative. So we have that kind of church planting mm-hmm. DNA in us, even though it was 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. And we built a building in 2006. I came in 2010 and have been here. I'm finishing my 11th year as pastor wow. at Tri Lakes. And we are a uh, very orthodox, uh, traditional UMC. Mm-hmm. I, we do three services on Sunday morning two traditional. And when I say traditional, we do Eucharist every Sunday at every oh, service right. and robes and the UM order of worship, all that stuff. And then we have a contemporary service as well in the middle, which also has a lot of the same liturgy. The music is just different. And I'm also the primary drummer. So it always freaks people wow. out when the drummer steps out from behind the drums and becomes the preacher. Whoa. Because <laughs> p- drummers are not supposed to be smart enough to <laughs> form coherent sentences. Right. Wow. You just shocked the whole world. They truly are the backbone of the band, though. I never think they get enough credit. Yeah, I did that from the time I was little, and it's something that's always been fun for me, and and I enjoy I enjoy playing, and and it's fun to play with the band. It, it does take a lot out of you though when you're trying to preach and do that at the same time, especially when the worship leader chooses a really fast song right before the sermon. Yes, it's <laughs> not a not a recipe for disaster. It's like, hold on a second. I got to catch my breath. Right. Exactly. It's like a cardio workout before you preach. (laughs) It is, it is, but I, but I do enjoy it and it's fun. And, and so we, we have about 500 members. We worship about 350 on a non COVID Sunday. Right. We're starting to kind of come back from all of that and moving toward normality and hopefully a new normal as we implement some new things. We were doing outdoor worship Mm -hmm. all summer. We did outdoor Christmas Eve in 22 degree weather. We did outdoor Easter this year again, 
And we actually had a beautiful day for that. So if you have to be outdoors, Colorado is a good place to do it. That is so true. God has given us beautiful country in Colorado. So this is exciting uh, for us to be looking at the task force report that we're looking at for today is for accountable discipleship, which you've been a part of this task force. I'd just love for you to tell our listeners how you got involved uh, in, in helping with this particular one. I came on the WCA council, I want to say in 2017, 2018, somewhere in that vein. And a few years ago, uh, two of my friends here in Mountain Sky Conference, Joel Kershaw and Dave Heaster, and I were attending the New Room Conference in Nashville. And we heard Kevin Watson speak and Kevin's become a friend. We interviewed him in our last episode. Yeah. And he was talking about the band meeting and we were sitting together. The three of us were sitting together, listening to Kevin speak. And we kind of turned to one another after he was done. And we said, let's do this. We need to do this. I know that I've needed that kind of connection. When I was at Asbury, there were different kinds of covenant groups, but it was kind of something that was a little bit distant because I didn't really have time to do that. I was a student pastor. I was commuting in. I would go back and forth to Cincinnati to, to do work on the weekends. When I was at school, I was at school. When I was at work, I was at work. And so it was, it was difficult to try to get into any rhythm like that. And, and yet it's something I'd always desired to do because when you learn about Methodism, you learn that that's the method. And in no church I'd been part of in Methodism, was that a priority? I mean, we had disciple Bible study, which was really great. And I certainly don't want to downplay that at all. But disciple Bible study is essentially a lot of information. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of information about the Bible. And you do have some transformative relationships. You do build some significant relationships during 34 weeks and it's a marathon to do that. And we did several iterations of that, but I'd always wanted something that was more soul focused and, and personal accountability focused. And so the three of us after that particular new room conference, which I believe was in 2015, we, we started doing a band together and I talk about it quite a lot and, and really have been an advocate for that when we were doing the the next steps working group on the new discipline. I was asked to be part of that and, and really wanted to make discipleship a priority for, for the new denomination. I mean, Jesus gives us that priority. So therefore that's what we ought to do. If it's a priority for him, it ought to be a priority for us. And it was certainly a priority for, for the Wesleys, the class and band meetings and, you know, reading Kevin's book on, on those things and studying those myself looking back at Methodist history and realizing this is, this is our DNA. This is who we are supposed to be. So I advocated for that. And usually when you advocate for something, if you open your mouth enough, then you get asked to lead something. So (laughs) so I was asked to lead the accountable discipleship task force. And we put together a, a team of folks from, from around the country. We tried to get some more international connection, but it's not always easy to do that technologically. Mm-hmm. And we, we've, we met together some great folks on that team uh, who are listed in the report. And um, I, I was just really blessed to work with them 
around this process because we we really drilled down on what we wanted to see this new church be focused on. Mm-hmm. And we spent about six months working on the report and we intentionally did not come up with particular models. We wanted to paint the picture for why this needed to be the priority mm-hmm. and to say, um, this is our perfect opportunity at the very beginning of a new denomination to, to start well, mm-hmm. to, as I like to put it, to make Methodism Methodist again. <laughs> I think that's really the, the priority and to, to make disciple making our, our sole focus. Mm-hmm. It's so good. So in that same vein, can you just elaborate on the goal of accountable discipleship within the global Methodist church? Well, we said that our goal is really to, to make, develop, and nurture disciples through small groups where every single person is invited and challenged and supported and held accountable to living sanctified lives that reflect the person, character, and mission of Christ. That's really the goal. Kevin talked about this in our last episode, that Methodism was really raised up, John Wesley believed, for promoting this idea of entire sanctification. Mm-hmm. And really, when, when you boil that down, it comes to really reflecting the, the character and mission of Christ, to be the image of God we were created to be from the very beginning. Of course, Colossians talks about uh, Jesus being the, the image of the invisible God. And so he is the, the, the model for us and, and the kind of person we're to be formed into, what God intends us to be. And so uh, Wesley actually says this is the one thing needful, the renewal of our fallen nature into the image of God. And that's what we see the goal of accountable discipleship being is forming people who, who look and act more like Jesus, to put mm-hmm. it in a, in a very basic way. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the things I really enjoyed about the report is that you, you break things down in a way that is just really logical. It's easy to read. Um, but really one of the things I like is that you kind of take it back to the basics and you define what a disciple is. So can you share that as well? Yeah. Let me read the definition because it's been adopted into the transitional book of doctrines and disciplines for the global Methodist church, as well as the doctrines and discipline for the WCA. So it's made it into two books of discipline, mm-hmm. uh, but but here is the the definition of disciple that we we developed, and that is a disciple is a person whose life reflects the character of Christ, and extends the mission of Christ in holy love of God and neighbor. The disciple's character and practice are informed by the scriptures, nurtured by the community of faith, and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And the disciple's mission is to continue the ministry and mission of Jesus through the work of teaching, service, and multiplication making more obedient disciples who will reflect the character and mission of Christ and expand the boundaries of Christ's kingdom further out into the world. Mm-hmm. So here again, that idea of reflecting the character and mission of Christ in holy love. Mm-hmm. And we define that holy love because I think Wesley defines it not merely as sort of a, a general feeling of, of Welcome to everyone, although that's part of it, but really mm-hmm. holy love. Obedience is part of holy love. Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. And so we wanted to make sure that was part of this. 
but that our character reflects Christ, reflects the fruit of the spirit, that we are people who look more and more like Jesus, more and more like the image of God we were created to be from the beginning. Mm -hmm. Well, and I really like too, how it focuses on uh, our relationship with God, but also our relationship with the community, with our neighbors, uh, just just like the commandments do as well. So I think that's really great. So yeah, I think there is a multiplication aspect to this that, you know, it's not just that I'm being developed as, as someone who reflects the image of Christ, but I'm also seeking others to develop. So every disciple is also a disciple maker. Yes. That's the command. We, we often think, well, we'll leave that to the professionals. There are a lot of people who think that, that <laughs> right. if we could just, we could just, that, that those are disciple makers. No, every single person who's a disciple is a disciple maker. Mm-hmm. And, and we do that through those relationships. I, I like to go back to what the early church did in thinking through this. And, and there was a really influential book that I read a few years ago by Alan Kreider, who's a church historian, called The Patient Ferment of the Early Church. And he talks about how early Christianity grew exponentially during its infancy, when it was a persecuted minority. How did that happen? And it happened largely, he said, because they were patient in forming people who looked more like Jesus. Mm. Their catechesis was focused on the Sermon on the Mount. In other words, does your life look like this? Mm-hmm. So it was very practical. Mm-hmm. wasn't merely what you knew. It was how you lived and how you acted. And that lifestyle then became attractive to the Roman world that was very pagan, very uh, focused on a lot of different things. But people saw these early Christians, saw how their lifestyle was different, and they were drawn to them and wanted to learn more. And I really think, Stephanie, that we're in a situation here in the 21st century that's very much like the first century. Mm-hmm. We're, we're rapidly becoming outsiders in our culture, uh, a persecuted minority, not to the same degree that many places around the world are seeing persecution. Let me be clear about that. Mm-hmm. Yes, I mean, true. having somebody be nasty to us on Twitter is not the same thing as what <laughs> believers in, say, China yeah. and other places experience. But, but we are not christendom anymore we are not the center of the culture mm-hmm. and so developing people who are not simply nice people or people who are simply culturally relevant but rather people who reflect the idea that they live as part of a different kingdom they're citizens of the kingdom of god mm-hmm. on earth that's really the kind of disciple development i think that's going to be sustainable in this in this world that we live in right now Yeah, it's so true what you're saying. And I love your point about uh, that in the early church with the persecution that took place, that people were patient in uh, looking more like Christ. And that that's something I think that we don't value in today's society. We, we want a quick fix. We want change to happen fast. And, and as we become disciples of Jesus Christ, there is a, a slow and wonderful change that takes place that is deeply rooted in our lives. So you mentioned earlier, uh, John Wesley and band meetings, things that he valued and thought were important. And I know that there's a section in the task force report that addresses our historical foundation for discipleship. And I'd love for you to touch on that for our listeners. Well, it's no secret that Methodism got its name because it had a method. Mm -hmm. John and Charles Wesley 
meeting with the Holy Club and Oxford had developed a, a methodology around their, their way of living the Christian life. And they were mocked for it called Bible moths, super irrigation men, <laughs> which is a really kind of sophisticated insult when you think right. about it. But, <laughs> but, but the, the one insult that, that stuck with them, the one sort of pejorative name was uh, Methodist because mm-hmm. they had a method. And, and grudgingly, I think Wesley accepted that moniker and actually later on began to kind of embrace it to the point that we embrace, embrace it now, that mm-hmm. Methodists are people with a method. And the method was being put together in band and class meetings. The band meeting was actually first and the Holy club in Oxford looked very much like that where confession of sin took place, mutual accountability. Um, and then later on the class meeting developed as sort of another level where people were gathered together in groups. Initially, it was part of a stewardship campaign. You know, they were trying mm-hmm. to raise money for the new room there in Bristol. But as they gathered these people together to collect money, they, they also developed these class leaders who were inquiring as to the soul of, of these people. Mm-hmm. And that developed into the class meeting to the point at which if you were a Methodist in 18th century England, that meant you were part of a class meeting. Mm-hmm. It didn't mean you were a member of a church because of course the Anglican church was the church. Methodism was a renewal movement within Anglicanism, but you were the member of your class meeting. And then there was the larger society meeting, of course, where these folks would gather together, mm-hmm. but primarily your membership was lodged in that in that class meeting where you were asked the question, how doth your soul prosper? How is it with your soul? And we don't ask those soul questions too much anymore. People say it's too personal. I've heard that from a lot of people. You can't ask me that. That's a personal question. It's between me and God. Well, here's the thing, you know, Christian faith is personal, but it's never private. Right. Uh, you, You have to be able to express it and you have to be able to live it in community. So, the class meeting was really the primary structure that was designed to keep everyone connected to the rest of the movement, to cooperate with the grace of God that people had been given and to ensure that no one was forgotten or left behind. That's how Kevin puts it in his Mm -hmm. book on the class meeting. And Mm -hmm. that's our methodology that, and the class meeting was not where discipleship happened. It's where we ensured that it happened. You know, it was the place where you came back and reported on your connection to the general rules. You know, how did you pay attention to the ordinances of God this week? I, I think that's a really important piece to this. Do no harm, do all the good you can, but then uh, attend to the private and public ordinances of God. I, I really think that's important because so often now, because of of Bishop Job, I think, who wrote the books on the you know, on the, on the general rules, but he Mm -hmm. changed it to the third rule to stay in love with God, Mm -hmm. which isn't exactly what Wesley said. I mean, I think that's the effect of it, but there was a particular methodology for doing it. So the means of grace, those practices, those public practices of prayer and searching the scriptures and public worship and receiving the Lord's supper, which is a major means of grace. It's one of the reasons why we do it every week, because if it's a means of grace, we should offer it as, as often as possible. Mm-hmm. 
yes, fasting, Christian conferencing. And then, then of course, those, those ideas of, of those are works of piety, but then works of mercy, loving neighbor and doing good works, visiting the sick, those in prison, which the Holy Club also did. Mm-hmm. So it was a, it was a multi-orbed or a fully orbed kind of discipleship that paid attention to love of God and love of neighbor and doing so in public and in private. Mm-hmm. And so developing disciples of Jesus who reflect his character and mission involves engaging in these particular practices and, and in effect being held accountable to them with a group of others who are spurring one another on to perfection or on to entire sanctification or on to looking more like Jesus in their everyday life. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, it's so wonderful to hear you talk about these things because as we, as we get a glimpse into our DNA as Methodists, it's something that truly is driven by the Holy spirit. It's remarkable. And, and yet I think to myself, okay, we've come a long way since that time. And usually when you use the phrase, we've come a long way, we think we have improved. <laughs> I'm not sure that we have improved upon that. I think we've maybe come a long way in not such a good way. Um, so tell us where we are now with accountable discipleship in the United Methodist Church and how this is motivating us to change things as we look towards the global Methodist Church. I think for a long time, there's been a a neglect of these practices. We've been Methodist in name only. Mm-hmm. I think there have been pockets of places where accountable discipleship and the class and band meetings have tried to make a revival. David Lowe's Watson, who worked for the board of discipleship in the United Methodist church for a long, a long time, uh, was really an advocate for this. And of course, Kevin Watson more, more, recently. Everybody named Watson is involved in this process for some reason, but <laughs> right. so you have to get them all straight, get your Watson straight. Right. <laughs> and, my, and my friends, David and Kevin will understand that, but <laughs> yes, they'll appreciate that. But the, um, the, the focus has, has not always been on that. I mean, I think since the late 19th century, when the Sunday school movement came into being, that was really kind of the the end of the class meeting and the band Mm -hmm. meeting as the engine that drove Methodism and people became very focused on information. It was about Bible study and, and about learning more and knowing more and somehow knowing more would equate to being a disciple. If I only knew more, Mm -hmm. I would be better. Well, think about how that works for humanity in general. Now we carry in our pockets, a cell phone that has, all the information ever <laughs> compiled now in the pocket, you can carry it in your pocket. Right. But has that made us better? No, it hasn't. Because we still have a sin nature, because we still have that brokenness, because we still need transformation. Mm-hmm. And so I think for a long time, we've tried to do Methodism without the method. And we've been Methodist in name only. And hence, we are in the situation we're in. And so right now, I think as we are on the cusp of a new denomination, we have a chance, a unique opportunity to reboot that entire system and mm-hmm. say, we're going we're gonna to be Methodists who actually are known for our method. And we're going to be very intentional about making disciples who look and act more like Jesus and who love especially more like Jesus. Mm-hmm. And 
we have to be able to do that in an intentional way and have a strategic way. We can't just encourage it to happen. We can't just hope that it happens. Hope is right. not a strategy as, as we've often <laughs> said. Yes. I think there has to be a, a really intentional movement toward this. And that that's going to require a real paradigm shift for a lot of people who are coming out of United Methodism, which was low expectation, mm-hmm. uh, low participation. If your name is on the roll down here, then your name is on the roll up yonder, so to speak. <laughs> that membership needs to mean something mm-hmm. and that it, it ought to be an expectation that if I'm a member of this body, Mm-hmm. that I'm going to be uh, engaging in the method that that membership uses. That's so true. It, it really is almost like uh, even the church as a whole, not even just the United Methodist Church, but our Christian church as a whole has encouraged uh, the idea of members being consumers rather than producers. And what I love about this accountable discipleship task force and the report that you put together is it's an encouragement that, that we are not just to consume what God has given to us or what the church has to offer. We are to go ahead and become disciple makers. We are to produce as well, because that's, that's what Jesus looks like. Yeah. I I think about what John Stewart, when he was on the daily show said about Methodism, I I was watching that night and actually wrote it down. He said that Methodists are the university of Phoenix of religions. <laughs> Just pay 50 bucks and you're saved. I mean, I think that's the way a lot of people in the culture yes. have viewed Methodism. Mm-hmm. That is not how we were born. No. And it's not how we should be. And exactly. I think in particularly in this time, and you, you brought it up, Stephanie, that the entire church capital C mm-hmm. needs to rethink who we are because we cannot simply refocus. And I, I think the pandemic has killed cultural Christianity. I think it was the final nail in the coffin of Christendom. Agreed. And we have to think about now how we are going to be, are we going to try to go back to do the old model and try to get as many people as possible to come along and, and make the requirements so low that anybody can become part of this and, and simply exist within it. And then we can count the number of bodies or bucks or buildings that we have and call that success. Mm-hmm. Or are we going to be a movement again that really is transformational for people? And through those people now, God becomes the one who transforms the world. Yes. It's not going to be a massive sweep. It's not going to be big numbers, but it's mm-hmm. going to be faithful discipleship. And I think that's what God is looking for. So I actually think the situation we're in now, when we see all the death knell of church decline and, Mm -hmm. and all that kind of stuff, that's actually a good thing. Mm -hmm. Christianity grew fastest when it was a small persecuted minority. Methodism grew fastest when it was a small persecuted minority. Guess where we are? Here's the opportunity, but we have to seize it and we can't go back to the old model. We've got to put the method back in Methodism. Yes. There's my rant that I promised you <laughs> yes. getting ready to come on. <laughs> I'm so glad our listeners got to hear it because it was great. So part of what I, I do enjoy about the, the report is that 
as you said earlier, you don't lay out a program for people to follow. And yet there is a method in what you have. So you have classified in the report what discipleship formation looks like and where it needs to take place and how it needs to take place. So would you touch on that for our listeners as well? So there's a multi-level way of thinking about this, that discipleship is not a program, it's a lifestyle. And it's a, it's a culture that you have to build within the local church as a disciple-making center. And when you think about it, this is the way Jesus does it. His method is, is pretty clear. He, he speaks to the crowd and teaches them in one way, but out of the crowd, then you have the 70 that gets sent out. Those are people who are kind of connected, a, a much larger body connected. Mm-hmm. He spends more time though with 12 people. And yet out of those 12, he spends the most time with three, Peter, James, and John. So you can think of it, m- many people conceive it as a funnel. I would argue that it actually could be a sort of a reverse funnel where mm-hmm where it, it starts small and then grows larger and, and, and goes ever outward. But the point is there are multiple levels of that. And, and one of the things that we looked at in this was uh, kind of the language from Joseph Meyer's book, The Search to Belong, which talks about different spaces where people live their lives. There's the public space, which is kind of the large number of, of people, a social space, somewhere between 20 and 100 people, uh, the personal space, which is eight to 15 people, an intimate space, which is three to five people. Most of us live our lives in, in any one of these spaces at any given time and, and, and multiple times throughout the day and throughout the week. So if you think of, of the public space as kind of the crowd, the gospels reveal Jesus speaking to the crowd, early Methodist movement, spoke to the crowd. I had the chance to be in Bristol a few years ago and to go up to Hannah Mount where Wesley preached for the first time outside. That was a powerful moment. Mm -hmm. That whole idea of being in the large crowds and that enables the message to be broadcast widely. And and George Whitfield was good at this too. Mm -hmm. I mean, he drew probably even greater crowds both in England and in America. And yet Whitfield would say, at the end of his life that his, his preaching really created what was a rope of sand because he didn't develop the next levels of discipleship. There's that social space. Um, we think about more than just the 12. I, I just preached yesterday. We're recording this the Sunday after Easter. I just preached on the walk to Emmaus mm-hmm. and you have these two, two disciples are walking along Cleopas. Well, Cleopas, doesn't appear in the list of the 12. And then the other one doesn't even have a name. <laughs> and so there are lots of other people hanging around, you know, the, the women who went to the tomb are, are, are hanging around They're They're part of that sort of cadre, larger cadre of disciples. Mm-hmm. And if you think about that in early Methodism, th- that's kind of the society meeting, um, the social space, that, that enabled people to come. The, the main connection there was a desire to flee from the wrath to come. We might think of that as our, our Sunday church gathering. And we have put so much emphasis on that in Christendom. That's what we count. We count the number of people who show up in the social space. Mm-hmm. Did we get enough people? 
was the offering good, all of that kind of stuff. And we rarely go to the next level, which is personal space. Jesus spends the bulk of his time with 12 disciples, cultivates them intentionally in a formational strategy. Um, and, and that was the class meeting in early Methodism, 12 to 15 people mm-hmm. for mutual support and accountability. It's where you're learning how to be a disciple and being accountable for how you live your life as a disciple. But then there's that intimate space of three to five people. Jesus spends most of his time with Peter, James, and John. He's the one he's pouring into the most. Mm-hmm. And they're present at the transfiguration. They're tra- present at different other times. And so the band meeting kind of functions this way in early Methodism, where each person can reveal themselves intimately, intimately without being shamed Right. Uh, with, with being very vulnerable and transparent. That, that's what I've experienced in my own band meeting is mm-hmm. I can be completely open and honest in that place and know that the idea is not judgment, but rather it's support. How can we help you with this yes. struggle? And we all experience them. So when we think about disciple development, it needs to take place in all those spaces. So mm-hmm. how do we, how do we outreach to to our community, the, the crowd? How do we use our, our public space, um, our, our social space, in other words, the, that worship service to develop disciples? Is our worship service merely uh, religious infotainment, or is it actually focused on how we're developing disciples? Do we have personal spaces in our church where people are gathering together in and groups of, of 12 to 15 or so where they can build kind of a spiritual family. And then lastly, in particular, do we have that, that intimate space where people can really be transparent and vulnerable? Mm-hmm. We're not used to that. We've usually stopped at the place of social space and called that good mm-hmm. in, in United Methodism. What we're saying in our report is that we've got to intentionally move into those deeper levels of intimacy in order to help people really be transformed as disciples of Jesus. Mm-hmm. I appreciate how you how you break that up because it makes such perfect sense. And and as a pastor myself, I'm I'm sitting here thinking, okay, now I need the method. How how do we do this? And I'm sure other listeners, whether they're lay folks or clergy are thinking the same thing. How do I implement this in my context and in my church? So what does the report suggest about implementation? Well, we have a number of recommendations that we've put together. And again, these are, are not directive in terms of here's exactly how we're going to do it. Although we do recommend that that we develop a team to develop certain models. I was just on the phone this morning with, uh, with, uh, with Mark Danzi out of Mount Pisgah church in Georgia, who has developed a model. I've talked to a lot of different people on a lot of different discipleship models, but it, and it's, so it's not about developing a particular model mm-hmm. other than to say, we need to have a model, yes. <laughs> you know, that every church is contextually different. I mean, we're going to be a global church. So, how we do it in Africa is going to be a little different than how we do it in Colorado. And yet the principles are the same that we want to put people into spaces where there's a high expectation. There's, there's a real emphasis on discipleship development and community and accountability. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the, the focus of our recommendations say, we want to talk about the why. And then the next step is to develop lots of different ways of the how 
and, and to develop those so that we can train our clergy and our lay leaders in how to do this, because we're going to have to do that. Mm-hmm. We, we haven't been trained in these things largely. And we've gotten snippets and pieces and some people have gotten it and others have not. And, mm-hmm. and we've got to develop not necessarily a universal model, although I think the class and band meetings do give us kind of the, the structure of that. Mm-hmm. They can be varied in a lot of different ways. So it's not so much about developing the, the model, but developing the, the idea and developing the approach to saying, we are going to do this and we'll get to the how as we, as we work through it. Mm-hmm. So we had eight recommendations that we gave to the, to the global council of the WCA. The first was that we develop a clear definition of discipleship, which I read for you earlier. Um, the second was to develop an official catechism and catechetical resources. The, the other conviction that we had was that when you talk about entire sanctification, when you talk about growing in grace, we realize that a lot of Methodists in United Methodism don't really know their theological doctrine or heritage. And we have to sort of start there in many ways. We have to not only start there with the, with the theological grounding, but also the practical grounding. How does this, how does this work on the ground? And so, so we recommended that uh, a catechism be developed that could be used as training, as, as groundwork for developing accountable discipleship. And, and that recommendation has already been acted on. There is a catechism task force working with WCA uh, Phil Talon and and a number of others uh, who have written a lot on catechesis are part of that, and it's going to be exciting to see what they what they come up with. Mm-hmm. And then uh, thirdly, we recommended that uh, we develop the Commission on Discipleship and Just Ministry. We're going to have minimal kinds of boards and agencies in the new Methodism, but I think this is one that needs to happen and not merely to be somebody that just produces curriculum and videos, but actually develops a kind of coaching and mentoring process that can filter down to annual conferences. So clergy and lay leaders and class leaders and accountable discipleship, small group leaders have all the resourcing they need to be successful at this in their context. So really an active kind of, kind of, commission that is commissioned to do that kind of coaching work and and helping people become immersed in that. Mm -hmm. The fourth recommendation was that we ask local churches to provide opportunities for disciple development in all those spaces that I mentioned um, and, and the public, social, private, intimate spaces with the emphasis on moving people toward personal and intimate space. And that this is something that each local church should be held accountable to meeting with their presiding elder at the annual church conference every year and, and saying, here's what we've been doing to develop that. And if we're not quite there yet, here's how we're going to be on the way to that. And then number five is the big one where we recommend that the global Methodist church adopt participation in an accountable discipleship, small group as a basic expectation for membership in the local church. Mm-hmm. That's a big one. That's a big one. <laughs> But again, hope is not a strategy. We can't simply hope right. that it happens. And I think we have to develop the idea that this matters. 
mm-hmm. that membership matters. I mean, you can, you can come and be part of it. You can come and worship and, and engage, but, but membership should have a high expectation. Here's the irony. High expectation churches grow. Low yes. expectation, expectation churches die. Yes. That's just the reality. Mm-hmm. And you get what you expect. Yes. So, so we're looking for the opportunity for people to, and not to do this out of obligation, but to say, I want to be a disciple of Jesus. That should be all of our heart cry. Yes. Uh, Again, going back to Emmaus, we're not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking with us on the road. Is your heart burning? Is it strangely warmed? Are you, are you, (laughs) if it's not, then, then we we got some fire to stoke then as part of this. But I, I, I want to see, and I think our task force wants to see this to be one of the defining moments in the launch of the new denomination. Mm-hmm. Uh, here's a second rant. Okay, so <laughs> I believe that we're at a fork in the road with this. We can take the easy way. We can say, well, we hope this happens. We're going to encourage it to happen. Or we can take the hard road and say, we're going to expect this to happen. We're going to formulate our denomination around this new thing. Mm-hmm. The opinions expressed here are those of Bob Kaler only and not those <laughs> of this task force or of the WCA council. Okay. I want to make sure that's clear. Right. And I think we're at a fork in the road where, where we have to choose what we're going to be. And the best place to choose that is prior to our launching Yes. or at the moment of our launching. The United Methodist Church chose the broad way Mm-hmm. And Jesus tells us that that's not the way that leads to life. Right. We can be another mainline United Methodism 2.0 with low expectation and very few requirements. And, and gosh, we really, gee, Willikers hope that you will become a disciple of Jesus. Or we can say, we're going to take the road that Jesus invites us on, which is the way of the cross Mm -hmm. and the way of high expectation, the way of growing into a disciple of Jesus, which does not happen by osmosis. It doesn't happen in a microwave fashion. You can't do it in three easy lessons or a four week membership class or something like that. It requires ongoing formation. So again, putting the method back in Methodism, that's the idea. That's the recommendation. Um, and I, I, I hope that when we come to a convening conference, this becomes a priority for us as we, we vote on these things. Again, I, I think this is a fork in the road, Robert Frost, two roads diverged in the wood. I took the one less traveled by, this would be the road less traveled by. Yes. Yes. Of course, there's the Yogi Berra version that says, when you come to a fork in the road, take it. But, <laughs> but I think this is. This is the opportunity for us to choose the road less traveled by, because I think in this, in this cultural environment, the more specific we are, the more clear we are about who Mm -hmm. we are and what we're going to do and the kind of people we're going to help develop with the power of the Holy spirit Mm -hmm. is, is really the question Mm -hmm. about our future. Yes. Well, and don't you think that in some respects we have to change our measurement of success, because we have, we've broadened this idea that our measure of success is high numbers or, you know, lots of people in the seats or lots of people watching online. And in, in the new form of Methodism, according to this accountable discipleship 
task force report, to me, it says, no, our measure of success is how, how are people looking like Christ? Exactly. What are we known for? Mm -hmm. Are we going to be known as the university of Phoenix of religions (laughs) or are we going to be known as Methodists, a peculiar people, as Wesley said, people who are who in effect weird because we, we give our lives to something that is bigger than ourselves. And we, we have an intentional method. I mean, the early Methodists were seen as weird until people said, maybe I need a little bit of that weirdness, you know? (laughs) Right. I mean, we're already going to be weird in this culture with, with a traditional sexual ethic, with, with the idea that we believe in, in resurrection of the body and all those kinds of things, all the stuff that we proclaim in the creeds and in our doctrine and in our Mm -hmm. practice, that's already going to make us weird. Let's just be weird then. Right. (laughs) Let's go all the way and say, we're going to be people who intentionally want to be more like Jesus. Yes. And I think the more we do that, I think the more we do that, we will gravitate away from some of the generic forms of church that formed during Christendom. Yes. We will not become a generic mainline church that is bland and, and a big tent that is not sustainable and that ultimately collapses in on itself, mm-hmm. nor will we become a generic evangelical denomination known more for its political stances or whatever than, than anything else. Mm-hmm. We will become Methodists. We won't be able to be categorized with any of those other pieces. I think that's what John Wesley intended from the very beginning. Yes, I agree. You know, that we would not be known by our political stances or by our opinions or by our outward appearances, but we would be known by what he defined Methodism as a people who have the love of God shed abroad in their hearts by the Holy Spirit given unto them. Yes. Until we do that, we're going to, we're going to drift right or left. And, and we're going to become irrelevant Mm -hmm. again. Mm -hmm. This is the opportunity for us to take the right road. Rant rant concluded. (laughs) Well, I just want to take a moment to say thank you to you and your entire task force for putting so much thought and work and prayer and effort into what is something that is foundational for us in the global Methodist church. So thank you so much for that. Any other closing thoughts you would have for us today? Yeah, I mean, I, I think this is something we've talked about uh, having multiple conversations about, uh, multiple opportunities to to share about. I'm going to be sharing a piece on this at the Global Legislative Assembly in Montgomery here at the end of the month. Mm-hmm. And uh, I have 10 minutes, so we'll see if I can get a rant in in 10 minutes. That's <laughs> going to be, I'm kind of glad I had the podcast today anyway to be able to do that. So Right. Um, and I, and I do the editing. So <laughs> anyway, uh, but you know, we're developing networks already thinking about those kinds of things. I've gotten a lot of calls from people who are very excited about this. And, um, this is a time to kind of tap into that enthusiasm to think about as we begin new churches that we start with accountable discipleship as our, as our grounding that we give existing churches coming into the new denomination opportunity to kind of ramp up at this and learn about it and not expect it right out of the gate, but to say, we're going to give you all the tools to start developing this kind of ministry in your church. So there's a lot of opportunity to 
to, to, to begin this process. You don't have to wait to develop disciples until we launch the new denomination. There's a lot of ways to do that right now. And we're already starting to work on that. Yeah. And that's exciting. It really, really is. Well, thank you, Bob, so much for explaining these things to us today. And friends, thank you for listening. We're so glad that you have joined us. I want to encourage you to check out wesleyancovenant.org as you're thinking about the global gathering that is coming up here at the end of April, beginning of May in Montgomery. You'll find out more information there about it. And again, we hope that you will share this podcast with others so we can continue to get the word out about what's happening as we are forming a new denomination the Global Methodist Church. So thank you all for joining us today and we pray for you and we hope you have a wonderful week. Thanks. And one last thing, I do want to invite people to check out another podcast I started called Wednesdays with Wesley, which is focused on Wesley's sermons because I think this is an important part of our catechesis. And I taught a course on Wesley's sermons last fall and we're we're doing now a podcast on that as well. So if you'd like to learn more about Methodist theology, Uh, John Wesley, check out Wednesdays with Wesley. You can find it on any of your podcast platforms. Just a small commercial since I had the mic. Awesome. I love that. Check that out on all of your major uh, podcast outlets because it's a great new series that he's got going. Friends, we're so glad that you have listened today. We continue to pray for you and we pray that you have a wonderful week. 